Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W.com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. Evening Times Sport, April 20. Rangers, five talking points as the best team in Scotland show their superiority. Report by Christopher Jack. Another week, another clean sheet and another win. There has been a familiar routine about this season for Rangers, but victory over Celtic was more significant than many that Stephen Gerrard's side have achieved this season. An acrobatic effort from Stephen Davis and John Joe Kenny's own goal moved the champions a step closer to a Premiership and Scottish Cup double. St Johnston now lie in wait twice this week as Rangers bid for an unbeaten league campaign and a place at Hamden. Celtic are condemned to finish the season without any silverware, but Rangers now have the chance to emphasise their superiority in Scottish football in the next month. Over the course of 90 minutes at Ibrooks, they would do just that in an old firm sense. Here are five talking points from that Scottish Cup win. Rangers are the best team in Scotland. That fact has never been in doubt this season and should not really have been questioned ahead of the old firm fixture, but comments from John Kennedy sparked a debate. Borna Barisic criticised Kennedy for being disrespectful towards Rangers, but there was no real harm in what the interim parkhead manager was saying as he attempted to give his side a much-needed boost last week. On their day, Celtic can be a decent sight. This wasn't their afternoon though, and Rangers would once again prove their supremacy with a controlled display that was rightly rewarded with a comfortable passage into the quarter-finals. Rangers have the upper hand technically, tactically and mentally over Celtic right now and the Premiership table, with a 20-point gap at the top, tells its own story of where the teams are at present. The whole argument is something of a storm in a teacup. Rangers have led from the front throughout the season, and this win merely undermined their excellence. No old firm fear factor for champions. Gerard spoke post-match on Sunday about a shift in mentality from Rangers going into these fixtures now and of the belief and confidence that his side can approach Celtic clashes with. 
This is now three wins out of four in the old firms this season. And Rangers are unbeaten in their last five games with their greatest rivals and their nearest challengers. It is a record that sums up the shift of power across Glasgow. Before Gerrard's arrival, these games were ominous prospects for Rangers. The defeats were embarrassing, and the fixtures themselves almost a no contest, as Celtic outclassed and outplayed hugely inferior opposition. That is no longer the case. Rangers will lose derbies under Gerrard, but they need not fear them and there is no impending dread of a heavy humiliation in the build-up these days. In Gerrard's first two seasons, Rangers had to be at their best to beat Celtic. Now they are earning results when not hitting their peak, and the dynamic of the old firm fixture has swung very much in their future. Man of the match was a tricky call. The performance of the collective is always more important and more defining than those of the individuals, but both factors contributed to the significant cup success at Ibrox. Alan McGregor would collect the Man of the Match award after a string of impressive saves and the brilliant stop from Odson Edwards' penalty. It was another big game performance from one of Gerard's stalwarts, but there were a handful who staked their claim for the prize, and that summed up Rangers' day. Nathan Patterson was excellent, Stephen Davis sublime, and Joe Arebo produced the kind of showing that has been a long time coming in the old firm fixture. The strike from Davis was a touch of class, and he would stroll through the game, but Arebo's influence cannot be understated, and he had a hand in both goals. It is hard to argue strongly against McGregor getting the nod, but the fact that the decision was as difficult was a source of real satisfaction for Rangers. Nathan Patterson has to be picked for Scotland. There will be many who could have made a strong case for Patterson to collect the award, but the victory and the praise from Gerrard will mean far more to the right back. The rise and rise of the 19-year-old has been remarkable, and the journey should take him all the way to the European Championships with Scotland this summer. Gerard was clear that there wasn't a better Scottish right-back in the league as he spoke about Patterson post-match and the Ibert's kid now cannot be overlooked by Steve Clark. He is composed on the ball. His defensive capabilities are improving all the time and he is very much a modern-day full-back as he drives forward and impacts the game in the final third. Patterson will become a stalwart for club and country in the coming years. It would be folly not to give him his first taste of tournament action this summer and let him take another stride forward at the end of a memorable campaign. 
double very much on the cards for Gerard. The trip to McDermott Park is important in its own right for Rangers, as they look to move within three fixtures of an unbeaten Premiership campaign. What a way that would be to mark their 55th league title this term. It is silverware that is the ultimate aim for Gerrard and his players though, and the second meeting with St Johnson this week is therefore the bigger of the two fixtures. Rangers of course will want to win both, and that ambition should not be beyond them. But the team selections from Gerrard and Callum Davidson will be interesting in midweek. This season will always be historic, given that the Premiership was won, but it would end on a sour note if Rangers could not add the Scottish Cup to their tally for the first time since 2009. Given their dominance domestically, it would be a real disappointment if they only had one medal to show for their efforts, and there is no reason why Gerrard's side should not have a double celebration come the end of May, says Christopher Jack. Evening Times Sport, April 20. Nick Rogers says, Lydia Ko back to her brilliant best in Hawaii. I still cannot believe that Lydia Ko is just 23. But then I still can't believe that I'm hurtling towards 45. As I stood in front of the mirror the other day, gently regrouting my crow's feet while poking quizzically at the various lines on my face like a bamboozled tourist trying to plot a journey on the map of the London underground, I became acutely aware of the passing of time. Even the bottle of embalming fluid in the bathroom cabinet had passed its sell-by date. Coe, meanwhile, is certainly not past her best. In recent weeks, there have been a few players bridging sizeable title gaps. Indeed, the likes of Ko, Jordan Spieth and Hideki Matsuyama had been in the midst of the kind of drought that just about led to them being issued with a hosepipe ban from the game's governing bodies. Spieth's win in the Texas Open was his first for 1,351 days. Matsuyama's major Masters moment at Augusta was his first win for 1,344 days. And Ko's magnificent seven-shot romp at the Lotte Championship in Hawaii at the weekend was her first win in 1,084 days. The good old days have returned. Winning is never easy, even when the likes of Ko who seems to have been around for ages, made it look easy. From the age of 15, when she won her first LPGA Tour title as an amateur, Ko set about breaking more records than a startled bull at a second-hand vinyl fair 
as she stood alone as the most talented teenager, not just in golf, but in sport. With her chatty, approachable and cheery demeanour, Cole proved that you could still have that competitive killer instinct required to dominate the game without being cold and aloof. Her modesty was as impressive as her golf. Cole left other golfing sensations in her wake. Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy and the aforementioned Spieth, for instance, were 20, 19 and 19 respectively when they won their first two titles. Annika Sorenstam, arguably the greatest female golfer with 10 majors among her 72 LPGA Tour wins, didn't start racking up the victories until she was 24. At 18, Cole was already in double digits. Of course, in a game full of perils and pitfalls, progress is never blissfully serene. Winning when everybody expects you to win creates a huge burden of expectation. It's always been that way. The great Mickey Wright, who, paced, who passed away last year at the age of 85, enjoyed a wonderful period of pomp and prolific prosperity in the swinging 60s, but had her own views on constantly topping the golfing hit parade. She said, It was a lot of pressure to be in contention week after week for five or six years. I guess they call it burned out now, but it wore me out. Unless you're a golfer, you can't understand the tension and pressure of tournament play. And here's me thinking that maintaining the weekly column was a shimmering example of stoic longevity. During an earlier barren spell for Cole, a variety of off-course choppings and changings had created an uneasy atmosphere of negativity and controversy. If she wasn't changing clubs, she was changing coaches. If she wasn't changing coaches, she was changing caddies. The analysis and scrutiny about this, that and the other was so intense, it was as if Cole had been plonked in a petri dish and microscopically examined under laboratory conditions. In her quest to return to her previous majesty, her down-to-earth personality seemed to endure amid the toils and troubles. At the 2019 Women's Open at Woburn, for example, a few of us scribblers were waiting in the recording area to speak to someone or other who had posted a decent score. Cole had just shot an 80, was sitting second last, and had missed the cut by a country mile. But the former world number one still smiled, laughed, chatted, and signed the autographs for an eager gathering of children. It said a lot about her character, and you couldn't help but will her on to better things. Those better things have now arrived with a 16th LPGA Tour win. When she was 17, Co stated that she would like to retire at the age of 30. 
She really does make me feel old. And another thing, the revelation the other night about a new football super league has generated the kind of seismic shuddering impact that was akin to the meteor that obliterated the, the dinosaurs. When eyebrow-raising proposals for a breakaway Premier Golf League were unveiled last year, there was similar fist-shaking about greed and closed-shop competition. It wasn't an idea that particularly roused my own senses. Golf's unpredictability and the breadth and depth of its competitive waters is one of its great attributes. At 47, Stuart Sink, who beat the then 59-year-old Tom Watson to the Open back in 2009, won his second PGA Tour title in seven months on Sunday. He said, I prepared for a dogfight, but no dogs turned up, as the young pups failed to lay a glove on his commanding lead. There's plenty of life in this old dog yet, and golf, this great generation game, is always richer for such triumph, says Nick Roger. Evening Times Sport, April 20. Danny Wilson delighted with coup signing of Bristol Bears scrum coach Alistair Dickinson. Report by Stuart Bathgate. Danny Wilson is convinced that Glasgow have pulled off a real coup by signing scrum coach Alistair Dickinson from English Premiership leaders Bristol Bears. The Warriors head coach worked with the former Scotland loosehead in the lead-up to the 2019 World Cup and believes that Dickinson's qualities will make him a valuable addition to the team's backroom staff. Wilson said, I am really excited and pleased with that recruitment. Al's somebody I did a bit of work with for the World Cup in terms of the specialist work around loose heads and I was impressed with his scrum knowledge and his scrum ability. His playing background speaks for itself. He's a proud Scotsman and he'll add passion. To get him back from a Premiership giant, the Premiership leaders, is really pleasing. Dickinson, the 37-year-old, won 58 caps for Scotland between 2007 and 2016. He only retired from playing three years ago, but will move to Scotstone in the summer, having already accumulated invaluable coaching experience with the national women's and under-20 teams, as well with the Bears. He said, it will be great for me and my family to be back in Scotland. I feel I owe a lot to Scottish rugby and to get an opportunity to coach at the professional level in Scotland is quite rare and something I couldn't turn down. I have had a great time working at Bristol, working in a world-class environment where we are challenging for Premiership and Champions Cup silverware 
has been a great learning experience. I have played with and seen the developments of the likes of Xander Fagerson and Simon Bergen, and I'm looking forward to playing a part in continuing to develop Glasgow's front row and the club's scrum platform. Petrus Duplessis, who had been Glasgow's scrum coach in the 2019-20 season, while still registered as a player, left to join the Wallabies last year. Report by Stuart Bathgate. Evening Times Sport, April 21. Super League. Boris Johnson hails football clubs withdrawal as right result. Report by Caitlin Hutchison. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has hailed announcements from English football clubs that they plan to withdraw from the proposed European Super League as the right result. The big six English football clubs withdrew from the controversial new competition following widespread outrage and Mr Johnson's threats of legislative action. Last night, Manchester City were the first to confirm their departure from the proposed competition, shortly followed by Arsenal, Manchester United, Liverpool and Tottenham, with Chelsea announcing their exit in the early hours of Wednesday. Boris Johnson tweeted, I welcome last night's announcement. This is the right result for football fans clubs and communities across the country. We must continue to protect our cherished national game. Mr Johnson's comments follow those behind the league saying they will consider the most appropriate steps to reshape the project after the mass withdrawals. Those behind the Super League said it had proposed the new league because the existing system does not work. In a statement, the league said, Despite the announced departure of the English clubs, forced to take such decisions due to the pressure put on them, we are convinced our proposal is fully aligned with European law and regulations, as was demonstrated today by a court decision to protect the Super League from third-party actions, the league added in its statement. Given the current circumstances, we shall reconsider the most appropriate steps to reshape the project, always having in mind our goals of offering fans the best experience possible while enhancing solidarity payments for the entire football community. Mr Johnson had previously warned he was prepared to legislate to block the new league plans accusing breakaway football clubs of forming a kind of cartel. Meanwhile, there have also been reports that Spanish clubs Atletico Madrid and Barcelona were set to withdraw from the competition. Under the plan unveiled at the weekend, Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, Arsenal and Tottenham were to join six leading Spanish and Italian clubs to set up an alternative competition to the European Champions League. 
the proposal attracted particular ire as there would be no relegation from the Super League, regardless of how well clubs do on the field, although five of the best performing teams from outside the league would be invited to participate each year. It led to calls for the clubs involved to be expelled from the Premier League amid suggestions their players could be barred from representing their countries in the World Cup or the European Championship. Report by Caitlin Hutchison Evening Time Sport April 21 John Kennedy on facing up to a future away from Celtic Report by Graeme McGarry John Kennedy admits he has to face up to the fact that his future may lie away from Celtic Park as he says that a planned catch-up with new Celtic CEO Dominic Mackay will not constitute a job interview. Kennedy has been interim manager of Celtic since Neil Lennon left the club in February and has gone on record with his desire to take on the role on a permanent basis. But he acknowledges that, in the short term at least, he may have to step away from the club he loves in order to hopefully return someday down the line with his immediate future perhaps lying elsewhere. He said, yes it might. You always have to prepare for that as it's the same year on year if anything changes and depending what's going on. But it's not something I overly stress about. I keep saying I focus on what I can control at the moment, which is preparing the team. Then. If a hurdle comes along, or a new challenge, whether it's a change or anything else, I'll address it and commit to it then. So it's something I'm overly not thinking about right now. I want to just get this period by and then we'll go from there. I haven't had the chance to speak to Dominic yet. Obviously, he only arrived on Monday. I imagine he's got a lot on his plate at the moment. We have also had a lot of preparation and we'll be heading to Aberdeen. I think I'm penciled in to maybe catch up later on in the week. The conversation will be a casual one. I've never met him before, so it's very much about an introduction and a general chat about things. It's not an interview. It's not a case of me trying to make a pitch for the job. That's never been my intention anyway. My intention has been purely to lead the club through this period and then, when the time comes, if somebody wants to sit down and have a chat about how the squad is looking and what everyone is thinking going forward, then we'll have that conversation but I'm genuinely not stressed about what the future holds for me. I'll deal with it if it comes along. I know in my time here, I have been fully committed to every position I've ever been in, 
and I'm content with that. So we'll deal with that if it comes. But it's not me sitting on Friday trying to make a pitch. It's very much an introduction and a general chat, and we'll take it from there. If Mackay does pick Kennedy's brain for advice on the rebuilding job that lies ahead in the summer, in terms of the playing squad, he will be left in no doubt that surgery is certainly required, even if it might not be the complete overhaul in personnel that many expect. He said, there's not a number on it. We just have to get through the next period and then look at things in terms of what we need to replace in the squad. We are not carrying a big squad. I have been here a number of seasons when we've had much bigger numbers. We don't have huge numbers at the minute. There are obviously players who are coming to the end of their contract. There might also be a few bodies who, as always, might be looking to move on elsewhere. So it will be a collective decision in terms of what we're going to do moving forward. There's a new chief executive and all parties in terms of how the squad's going to look. But there will be change, probably a bit more than we normally would have. Season to season, squads evolve. There are always changes. But this season, probably because of the numbers we're carrying and the players we might lose, perhaps a bit more. However, I don't expect it to be an absolute major overhaul, like everyone thinks. Report by Graeme McGarry Evening Times Sport, April 21 Hibbs Joel Murray questions treatment of women's football during pandemic. Two steps forward, one step back. Report by Susan Egglestaff. Joel Murray has witnessed firsthand the progress the women's game has experienced over the past decade or so. The Hibbs defender has been a mainstay at the top of the women's football for over 10 years and so knows only too well the positives that have come from more money in the women's game, more media coverage and, most importantly, more success. However, she admits the past year and the challenges thrown up as a result of the pandemic have seen the women's game take two steps forward one step back in terms of progress. When talks began during the first lockdown of how to resume football, women's football was grouped in with youth and amateur football, while restarting the top flight of men's game was prioritised above all else. And that was, admits Murray, disappointing to observe. She says, You've got the SWF and the SFA saying we're a professional league, but then we're being grouped with youth football and potentially amateur football, so in that respect, it doesn't make sense. Things can be quite disjointed at times, and it seems that with progression comes a setback, which is frustrating, because obviously you want to continue that upwards trajectory. 
from a safety perspective in terms of COVID, I was quite happy that we stopped playing for a period. But if we're going to be branded a professional league, we can't be put in the same bracket as amateur teams. This season's SWPL has been somewhat stop-start, with rounds of games being played before it came to a halt due to lockdown. Matches resumed at the start of this month, with Hibs currently sitting in fourth place. Despite the lack of competitive action in recent months, Murray has remained busy with her job as Hibbs Community Foundation Girls and Women's Academy Director, ensuring she has had plenty to occupy her days. Preventing young players, especially girls, dropping out of the game is a challenge at the best of times, with lockdown only serving to make the task all the more difficult. However, Murray and her colleagues have done all they can to mitigate the damage done by the pandemic. The 34-year-old says, We, along with a lot of the clubs, worked really hard to retain that engagement with the kids. We were really proactive. We were running twice weekly Zoom sessions, doing questions and answers with the male and female first team players and things like that, because we knew this was a pivotal time. It will be interesting to see how many players have fallen away from the game as a result of the past year. That worry is always there that this might mean more girls will drop out of the sport. There's a pivotal age where boys and girls can go one way or another, and COVID and lockdown hasn't helped, so it is worrying to think how all of this might have impacted the young players. But because we recognised that early and got our online delivery programme up and running, hopefully that drop-off isn't too drastic. Murray has rarely been bored during lockdown as, along with her own training and her work as Academy Director, she has recently joined forces with a new video platform, Recast, which goes direct to consumers with exclusive content that makes money for the club simply by fans watching and sharing it. It is, believes Murray, an opportunity for the profile of the women's game to increase further, and with Hibs heavily involved, she is hopeful about the benefits the platform will bring to the women's game. She says, Hibs and Recast are working hard to raise the profile of the women's game and support us as female athletes, so anything like that is a very progressive step. It is very exciting to be involved in a platform that's in its infancy, but will hopefully, in time, hit the heights of Twitter and Instagram. Report by Susan Egelstaff Evening Times Sport, April 22 Alex McLeish says the Super League failure was a victory for fan power. 
but supporters will not forgive or forget. I said to a pal of mine on Tuesday that I thought the European Super League was dead in the water before it had even started. He came back to me on Wednesday and could not believe how quickly it had happened. Not many people would have foreseen the idea collapsing as quickly as it did late on Tuesday evening, but the power of the fans has spoken and I am pleased that the competition, if you can even call it that, now won't go ahead. The Super League was a slap in the face to your working fan, your season ticket holders and the families that have been going through thick and thin for generations. In the end it was those very people that stopped it and I am delighted for them. You saw the scenes at Chelsea on Tuesday night as they gathered at Stamford Bridge and within hours it was confirmed that they would be pulling out of the Super League. News came out that Manchester City were going to do the same and then the domino effect was just incredible to see as clubs across England and across Europe realised that this scheme just wasn't going to work. It was over before it had even started. The man on the street has had enough of their clubs and the game being taken away from them, especially in England, and it was heartening to see that they finally had their voices heard over this issue. There is always going to be a tipping point for fans, and they showed their anger here and got the outcome that they all wanted, but they still have a lot of work to do to really influence their clubs and the game in a wider sense. But if you are organised properly, if your messages are sound and to the point, then you certainly still have a voice and you can still make it heard. If there is one thing to be taken from the last year of games being played behind closed doors, it is the fact that football is nothing without the supporters. Their backing, both in an emotional sense and a financial one, should never be taken for granted. But that is what seemed to happen here, and the big six now have a lot of making up to do. The backlash from the fans over this idea was vociferous, but it was called out and questioned by media pundits and by former players and then by current managers and players and it always looked doomed to failure because it just didn't have any backing. If you are a football fan, you will be delighted that the Super League idea has gone as quickly as it arrived and you can say that this has been a victory for the supporters. But the actions of these clubs will not be forgotten easily and there will be sections of each fan base that will never forgive the owners for what they attempted to do here. I saw the apology from John W. Henry on Wednesday morning and he actually said the word sorry. That is the word that we have been trying to hear from politicians 
from the last year and a half. It is easy for people to weave their way around saying that actual word, and I don't know if that message will be enough to placate and satisfy the Liverpool supporters right now. There will still be a bad feeling and a sour taste left in the mouth of many when they think of what this uprising has caused and what it could have resulted in. That won't just be Liverpool fans either. That will be the fans of every club, both in England and abroad, that have been let down by their owners and their executives. In the coming weeks, these same clubs will be going to the fans, looking for season tickets to be renewed, for hospitality to be taken, and for merchandise to be bought. The fans will not forget what has happened here in a hurry, but they do love their clubs and want to see their team, and there are corporate guests who want to be at the games. The guys who went with their grandparents or parents and are now taking their own kids, these are the real supporters, the real lifeblood of these clubs and of football in general. And the big six have a lot of ground to make up with that core support now. The Super League idea may be dead, but there will still be clubs at the very top of the game that will be looking for ways to make more money and to initiate reform of European competition. The changes to the Champions League almost went under the radar this week given everything else that had been going on, and there will be people in the game for whom even those plans are not enough. We have heard talk about the Atlantic League proposal for long enough, and it never came to the surface. This one did though, and it was like a tidal wave. The question that a lot of people will be asking now is whether this is the end for a Super League style competition, or whether it will come back again in the future. The fact that it emerged and then was killed off so quickly has intrigued me. I thought there would have been a plan B, or another tweaked proposal that they could have put forward. The whole thing doesn't look like it has been well thought out at all, and they certainly didn't take into account the role that their supporters would ultimately play here, says Alex McLeish. Evening Times Sport, April 22. Nick Roger says, Money-spinning PGA influencer idea favours rich getting richer as tale as old as time enters digital age. The bold Peter Alice once suggested that golf was an enigma wrapped in a mystery, impaled on a conundrum. Goodness knows then what this dearly departed voice of the game would have made of the latest money-making venture unveiled, or rather leaked out, from the cash-sodden PGA Tour, 
Cor Blimey O'Reilly, you can say that again. Forget mysteries, enigmas and conundrums. Golf is now wreathed in meltwater mentions, MVP indexes and Nielsen brand exposures. And no, I don't know what the dickens they are either. Known as the Player Impact Programme. Yes, you can start rolling your eyes and sighing now. The PGA Tour, according to a report in the Herald's United States sister publication Golf Week, has tucked away an annual pot of some £28 million to reward those players who, in the organisation's own words, positively move the needle. It sounds like a phrase you'd hear on an episode of the Great British Sewing Bee, to be completely honest. Those aforementioned meltwater thingamabobs, MVP gobbledygooks, and Nielsen brand whatchamacallits, will be used to generate an individual impact score for a player. His position on the season-ending FedEx Cup rankings, based on his actual golfing performances, will be a key driver, but other factors, such as popularity in an online Google search, the number of minutes he appears on TV, and his social media presence will all be tossed into the mix. When the numbers are crunched and algorithms are formed, presumably by some boggle-eyed boffins in a subterranean laboratory, the player who tops the impact order of merit will get a cheque for over £5.5 million. It's nice work if you can generate it. You don't need to be one of those boffins to figure out that all of this will be weighted in the favour of the top brass, who already command vast sponsorship, airtime and appearance fees, while the rest diddle along as the rich gets richer. It's not a new tale, but one repackaged for a digital age. Apparently the scheme was launched in January, but if Xander Schofield's response yesterday was anything to go by, this all-singing, all-dancing push for fan and sponsor engagement has not well engaged. We don't know much about it, said the world number five, ahead of this week's PGA Tour stop in New Orleans. Apparently we were told about it in January. Maybe we were, and we forgot about it. When you're playing for millions every week, it's easy to forget about another £28 million. What was it old Alice said about the sums on offer these days? I'm not too sure that they all appreciate it. My old grandmother would have said, They've never had to save up to buy a bicycle, he said. On the push to become a social media influencer, Harris English added, I hope this doesn't cause players to try to force themselves to be popular, either unnaturally or in a negative light 
to get their rating up so they get more money. The PGA Tour says there is a system in place for filtering out negative exposure, which is a shame really, because a prize-giving ceremony featuring a player with a catalogue of tawdry online episodes would make for deliciously awkward viewing. Of course, all of this, which comes in a tumultuous week of Super League shenanigans in European football, is being viewed as another counter-thrust in golf's own breakaway battle. Either that, or a jaw-dropping indulgence of money that would be better served going into different levels of the golfing pyramid. When the Saudi bankrolled Premier Golf League, the PGL, was proposed last year, the PGA Tour and the European Tour got the kind of almighty fright you used to get with the shower scene and cycle. Fearing their marquee names would jolly off to the unbridled riches of a clothes shop extravaganza, a strategic alliance between the two tiers was duly forged. When the likes of Rory McIlroy distanced himself from the PGL, there was a considerable sigh of relief on both sides of the pond. Player power was always going to dictate affairs. In the wake of his retreat, McElroy suggested that the temptations of the PGL proposal would provide a catalyst for some changes on the PGA Tour that can help it grow and move forward. This multi-million dollar sweetener has certainly offered another gold-plated carrot on a stick in a game which doesn't just see money talk, but roar in your face. Now what the heck is a meltwater mention again? Asks Nick Roger. Evening Times Sport, April 22. St Johnson boss Davidson says Perth outfit caught Rangers cold. Report by Aidan Smith. Callum Davidson felt justice was served as St Johnston snatched a point at the death against Rangers last night. Saints equalised against the champions via a late Liam Craig penalty after Scott Wright had given the visitors the lead. The Perth side created several chances throughout the 90 minutes before their equaliser and Davidson believed a point was the least his team deserved. He said, I am delighted. We started the game unbelievably well and caught Rangers cold a little bit. The only disappointing thing was we didn't score a goal or two. Some of the chances were very good. Once we lost the goal, we didn't give up. We kept going and got our reward in the end. It's not often you play against Rangers and have more shots on target than they do, so that shows how well we played. We deserved at least a point, and I'm really proud of the players. It's a big point for us trying to close the gap on Livingston. We have a big game on Sunday now in the Cup, then we'll get focused on the league again. 
Saints felt aggrieved early in the second half when they were turned down a penalty after referee Ewan Anderson had originally pointed to the spot. The whistler consulted with his nearside official and eventually deemed that he had given the wrong decision. On the incident, Davidson explained, I thought they gave the penalty for the pool on Sean Rooney, but they said they actually gave it for a handball. It came off Scott Wright's foot and then goes up to hit his hand, which isn't a penalty. They have ultimately come to the right decision in the end, but I thought it was a penalty on Sean in the first place. These things happen in games. The ref took his time to make the decision because it's crucial. It would have been a good time to score. Davidson also revealed that striker Guy Melamed was forced off in the first half through a visual migraine. He added, Guy was struggling with double vision because of the migraine. He's fine and he'll be okay for the weekend. It was just vision problems. Chris Kane came on and the two strikers worked so hard on her shape, so it was a really good team effort. Report by Aidan Smith. Evening Time Sport, April 23. Kilmarnock's Kyle Laverty says he's found his happy place by Jack Haig. For a man so used to being thrust front and centre, it's gone a little under the radar that Kyle Laverty is having one of the best seasons of his career. The Northern Irishman has transformed Kilmarnock's fortunes, his ten goals arresting their worrying decline and his larger-than-life character reviving a dressing room which for so long looked to be sleepwalking its way to the championship. A hat-trick in Wednesday's crucial win over Dundee United, a first for a Kilmarnock player at Rugby Park since 2009, helped the team take another stride towards Premiership safety, lifting them out of the relegation playoff zone ahead of the final three games. With the livelihoods of everyone at the club at risk, as, Craig, as Kirk Broadfoot warned just days ago, it's a good thing they have found a man ready to step up and deliver. The 33-year-old Lafferty said, To be honest, I enjoy the pressure, and I always have done, ever since I first started playing football as a kid. Whenever the odds are against me, I'll probably perform. I've already done that for club and country, so bring it on. That's 10 goals now, and getting into double figures so quickly after coming here is obviously good for me on a personal level. But none of that will matter if we don't stay in this division. That's what I've been brought here to do, to make sure we are in the Premiership next season. And, until that's done, my goals won't have counted for anything. Of course, it's a psychological boost when you look at the league table and you're not in the bottom two. We had Ross County here a couple of weeks ago 
and knew that if we beat them, it would be in our own hands. But we ended up drawing 2-2 after being ahead twice, so they stayed a point above us. So coming off the pitch on Wednesday night with all three points, and then finding out the results in Hamilton and County's games was a tremendous feeling. It's definitely in our hands now, although we know we still need to brush up on some of our recent displays, because in a couple of the games prior to United, we'd picked up results without being bang at it, and we need to be better than that. During the course of his career, many monikers have been labelled at Lafferty. Nomadic is probably the most family-friendly, but it's the one he's keen to shake off now he's in a place where he feels loved with a manager, Tommy Wright, he has nothing but respect for. Obviously, I don't want to be known as someone who just moves around saving clubs, Lafferty said. He is in his 13th club of his career. He continued, It's a nice feeling, but I'd rather be with a team from the start of the season and enjoy the bigger picture, helping them into the top six or whatever. I knew the manager before I came here, having worked with him in the Northern Ireland setup. I've always had a good relationship with Tommy. I can have a bit of a banter with him, and he enjoys a bit with me as well. He makes me feel wanted, and he's put a lot of trust in me, which is a big thing. I had a similar relationship with Michael O'Neill when he managed the national team, and he got the best out of me as well. The more trust a manager puts in me, the more I'll repay him. I would 100% be prepared to stay here if we can stay up. I'm happy here. I'm near my family, and I'm staying in my house, so it ticks all the boxes. Once we're certain to avoid relegation, I'll be more than happy to sit down with the owners and the manager to work something out. Evening Times Sport, April 23 Celtic and Rangers to British Super League latest as Glasgow duo tipped to take chance. Report by Aidan Smith John Barnes believes both Celtic and Rangers would jump at the chance to join the British Super League if the opportunity came around. Reports yesterday suggested that the Premier League's Big Six have discussed the possibility of a reform that would include Glasgow's Big Two. Barnes has revealed that the hoops were in discussions to break away from the Scottish leagues while he was in charge back in the 1999-2000 season, and he still reckons they would jump ship along with her city rivals if they had the chance. He told Bonus Code Bets. Back when I was Celtic manager, there was talk of Rangers and Celtic breaking away from the Scottish League with a North Atlantic League. Unfortunately, as the Premier League, Bundesliga and La Liga was so strong, they were talking about a separate North Atlantic League that included a couple of Dutch teams, Portuguese teams, Celtic and Rangers 
So the second tier leagues in Europe, who wanted to break away and form another league, could get more money. It is sad to say because Scottish football wouldn't be there without Celtic and Rangers, but if they were offered a chance at a profitable international league, they would likely take it. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Times Sport, April 23 Rangers hit out at SFA inconsistency after COVID-5 appeal rejected. Report by James Kearney Rangers have announced their frustration after the club's appeal to lessen the bans imposed on the five players who were found guilty of breaching COVID guidelines was upheld. Nathan Patterson, Bongani Zungo, Calvin Bassey, Dapo Mabudi and Brian Kinnear were in attendance at a house party in Glasgow's West End that was broken up by police back in February. The Scottish FA charged the quintet and they were found guilty at a hearing with all five players being handed six match bans with two games suspended. However, Rangers then appealed that decision, which allowed the five players to keep playing competitive games before a final judgment was made. The SFA announced on Thursday afternoon that the Ibrox club's appeal was unsuccessful and that the original suspensions imposed would be upheld. That led to Rangers releasing a statement where the club questioned the inconsistency of decision-making from Scottish football's governing body, urging the SFA to be open-minded and to learn from other football associations. The statement read, We remain disappointed in the result. Furthermore, we believe this outcome highlights the inconsistency of decision-making in the Scottish FA's disciplinary process. We are cognizant that the approach taken by other football associations across Europe has no resemblance to that of the Scottish FA. We urge the Scottish FA to be open-minded to learn from other football authorities. We now focus on Sunday's quarter-final at Ibrox. Report by James Kearney Evening Times Sport, April 22 Scott Brown is respected around the world and will have a huge influence on Aberdeen. Report by Matthew Lindsay Matty Kennedy has urged his Aberdeen teammates to target victory in all of their remaining matches this season in the wake of their agonising draw with Celtic. A Lee Griffiths header with just five seconds of added on time remaining denied Stephen Glass's side their first win over their Parkhead rivals in three years at Pataudry on Wednesday night. However, winger Kennedy was encouraged by how Aberdeen who had taken an early lead through Lewis Ferguson, performed during the entertaining Premiership encounter. 
The Northern Ireland internationalist is hopeful they can defeat Dundee United in their Scottish Cup quarter-final at home on Sunday following their midweek display and go all the way in that competition. And he wants them to beat Livingston, Hibs and Rangers in their remaining league matches and clinch third place in the top flight table as well. He said, We played well against Celtic and I felt we had the better chances in the game. Lewis Ferguson hits the post towards the end of the game. After the game, everyone was gutted in the changing room, which just shows how far we have come. We were gutted not to beat Celtic. Now we just look forward to the cup at the weekend and try to keep our heads up. We won the first post-split game against St Johnston and picked up a point against Celtic. We have to try to pick up points every week. We are definitely going to give it everything we can. Everyone watching the game will have seen that we will give everything to try to go as far as we can in the cup and try to catch Hibs. We do owe Dundee United one. They beat us last time, but it is cup football and only one team goes through and we want to make sure that it is us. We want to win that Dundee United game and do well in the cup. We will do everything we can to push through in the cup. If European football comes, then it comes, but we will focus on this game. You want to keep momentum and at the end of the day we want to win every game. I think we have a good squad, so why can't we win every game? We do want to beat Dundee United and be in the draw for the next round, and I am sure we will do that. Kennedy has admitted the arrival of Glass, whose first game in charge was the penalty shootout win over Livingston on Saturday, had buoyed the Aberdeen squad. He said, Everybody loved Derek McInnes, and I thought we were playing well. Obviously, when a new face comes in, no matter what club or who the manager is, it does give you a lift. In the changing room, everyone gets on really well with the new manager and assistant Alan Russell as well. They have given all the boys a lift in the changing room and on the training pitch, giving the boys tips on how to improve their game. We are all delighted with the training and how the games have been going so far. Hopefully it continues. Kennedy was impressed with how young defender Calvin Ramsey, who is just 17 and was making only his fourth first team appearance, performed when he replaced Ross McCrory on Wednesday night. He said he was absolutely brilliant. Calvin was on my side and myself and Tommy Hoban talked to him throughout the whole game. I tried to get back when I could to help him. He's confident and you can see that when he comes on. He is confident on the ball and doesn't shy away. He doesn't talk around the training ground but he was confident against Celtic. I am delighted for him and he fully deserved it. The game on Wednesday night was the first 
that Celtic captain Scott Brown had played against Aberdeen since it was announced that he would be moving to Pataudry in the summer. Kennedy feels the Scotland midfielder will make a huge impact on the North East club when he arrives. He said, I was never near him on Wednesday night, but in Scottish football and around the world he is respected and I am sure he will bring a lot of positivity to the training ground and the team. You can see on the park he influences boys around him and makes them play better. I am sure he will do that for us as well. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Times Sport April 26 Former Arsenal keeper Matt Macy keen to savour Scottish Cup success with Hibernian. Report by Matthew Lindsay Matt Macy was on the bench back at the beginning of August as Arsenal came from behind to defeat their London rivals Chelsea 2-1 at Wembley and lift the FA Cup for a record 14th occasion. But being part of the Hibernian team that wins the Scottish Cup this season would mean far more to the English goalkeeper than that historic triumph particularly as it could help him earn a new contract at Easter Road. Macy, who has been given the nod in cup games ahead of Ophir Marciano since arriving in Edinburgh back in January, was excellent for the Capital Club in their quarter-final with Motherwell in Leith on Saturday evening. He denied Alan Campbell in the first half, Devante Cole in the second, and then after the game finished 2-2 at the end of extra time, helped Jack Ross's men to edge the penalty shootout 4-2. Macy is hoping that Hibbs, who are currently six points clear of Aberdeen in third place in the Premiership table, can top an outstanding 2020-21 campaign by going all the way in the competition. He said, it would mean so much more to win a Scottish Cup medal as a member of this team, a hundred percent. I got a medal from the FA Cup last year. I never actually played, but it's special obviously. But going all the way and winning this one would top it by a mile, absolutely. Macy, who played in the Scottish Cup wins over Queen of the South and Stranraer before the Motherwell victory, has enjoyed his time at Hibs. With Israeli internationalist Marciano, who has been preferred to him in their Betfred Cup and Premiership games, set to depart in the summer, he is optimistic he can extend his stay at Easter Road. He said, I really like it here, and playing in the big games obviously helps me. I love playing in the big games, that's what I play football for. So the Scottish Cup is a good opportunity for me. But the club are giving me confidence that they're not making a decision based on me playing right now. They're giving me confidence that it won't impact too much. If the 26-year-old, 
who made two first-team appearances for Arsenal during his seven years at the Premier League Giants, continues to perform like he did against Motherwell, it will certainly help his cause. He handled the first penalty shootout of his professional career with aplomb. He said, In terms of a penalty shootout, a keeper can only be a winner. I was speaking to the goalie coach Craig Sampson just before the shootout and he just said, Get excited, it's your chance to be a hero. I didn't actually save one, but I'll take it. Ophir came over to speak to me before it, although he didn't say too much. He knows that, as a goalkeeper in that situation, you want to keep yourself to yourself, really. But he wished me luck. We support each other and, for the goalkeeping group, that's a win for all of us. That was actually my first competitive penalty shootout. I had a few in the youth teams at Arsenal, but that was my first big one, so it's great to win it. Macy, who spent loans at Accrington Stanley, Luton Town and Plymouth Argyle in the past six seasons, had his self-belief bolstered before kick-off by Ross selecting him ahead of Marciano once again. He said, The manager has put faith in me, backed me, and given me confidence to perform. So I don't really feel like there's any extra pressure on me because of that. As we were leading up to the Queen of the South game, our first round, the gaffer told me I'd get my chance. He felt I deserved it for putting on what I call good pressure on Ophir, trying to make him a better keeper by performing as well as I can. So he gave me that confidence before the Queen of the South game. You've got to keep your place though, and hopefully I have done that with my performance against Motherwell. Hibbs lost last season's rescheduled Scottish Cup semi-final to Hearts after extra time back in October, and were thrashed by St Johnston in the last four of the Betfred Cup in January. Macy was not involved in either of those disappointments, but has sensed a determination among his teammates to do better when they return to Hamden next month. He said, I am quite aware of the situation with semi-finals recently. From what I've seen, there is a real hunger, a massive hunger from the boys to put that right this time around. It's not spoken about every day, but it's very clear that the boys are hugely motivated. The chance to get involved in more big cup and league games, particularly when supporters are allowed to return to stadiums in future, is certainly appealing for Macy. He said, cup finals, semi-finals and playing at Hamden, they're all great to think about especially when the fans come back. I've seen the videos of 2016, the historic Scottish Cup final win over Rangers, and saw what happened. But playing at a club like Hibs, there are more big games than just cup ties. We've got the old firm, Hearts, all those sort of games. 
I am well aware that there is an opportunity to play in a lot of big games here, which is what I want. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Times Sport, April 26 Gerard will not use a cop-out excuse after Rangers' early Scottish Cup exit. Report by Christopher Jack Stephen Gerrard insists it would be a cop-out to look for excuses after Rangers saw their Scottish Cup dreams ended by St Johnston. The champions suffered another shock knockout defeat this term, as Callum Davidson's side earned a famous Ibrox win. Rangers have struggled to hit the heights since clinching the Premiership title a month ago and were once again below their best against the Saints. But Gerard will continue to strive for improvement as he dismissed suggestions that his side peaked emotionally after securing a sought-after 55th league flag. Gerard said, I think it's the easy way out, a cop-out, for us to use excuses from three or four weeks ago. We felt fantastic back then, and there was a lot of relief and emotions. Rightly so, we deserved that. But I made it clear the Scottish Cup was a priority, and we needed to keep hungry. A lot of this game was alright. We had the best chances, but you need to take them, or you get stung at the end of games. Credit to St Johnston, they got one moment and then it was on to penalties. We need to take responsibility for this and we need to be better in cup competitions moving forward. We have never said we are finished, we always have one eye on how we can improve. That goes for me as well. I am really disappointed with how this has ended and I will reflect on how I can get this group better. We need to be better prepared for cup competitions moving forward and we will be back stronger next season. But there will be no shying away from us taking that responsibility and I see loads of areas where we can improve. We will keep striving to do that. Report by Chris Jack Evening Times Sport, April 26 SFA provide £1.5 million cash boost for grassroots clubs to get thousands back on football pitch. Report by Mark Henry Grassroots football has received a £1.5 million boost from the SFA. The governing body in Scotland injected the funds into the game through their Football for All campaign in conjunction with the Scots Government, FIFA and Sport Scotland who all, along with UEFA, added to the investment. The SFA says it will allow hundreds of grassroots clubs to bring thousands of players back onto a football pitch amid the pandemic. Clubs, the SFA confirms, can apply for cash at grassroots level and as part of the Girls and Women's Recovery Fund. 
Chief Football Officer at the SFA, Andy Gold, praised the funding injection saying, after facing many challenges throughout the coronavirus pandemic, now is a vital time to support the grassroots game as government restrictions ease and allow an increase in football activity. We are grateful for the support from the Scottish Government, FIFA, UEFA and Sports Scotland, who have bolstered the funds made available by the Scottish FA to ensure more than £1.5 million is available for clubs and people at the heart of our national game. I recognise the many challenges facing the grassroots game and the Football for All funding will be a huge boost to our concerted efforts to get people playing the national sport again. The funding presents a wonderful opportunity to kickstart the game and it is crucial that we continue to work with key stakeholders to further ensure that grassroots football can flourish once more. Report by Mark Hendry Evening Times Sport, April 26 Tavernier Ruse, criminal defending as Rangers crash out of Scottish Cup Report by Chris Jack James Tavernier rude the criminal defending that played a part in Rangers Scottish Cup downfall as St Johnson earned a shock Ibrooks win. Stephen Gerrard's side saw their dreams of a double this term end in a nightmare finale as the Saints scored a last minute equaliser and then emerged victorious on penalties. Tavernier looked to have earned the champions a semi-final spot four minutes from the end of extra time, but Chris Kane scored after keeper Xander Clark got his head to a corner. Clark saved from Tavernier and Kemar Roof in the shootout as Rangers' silverware ambitions were brought to a premature and unexpected end. Tavernier told Rangers TV, just really disappointed, you know it is hard to take. A game like that, we create really good chances, probably about five or six, and didn't put them in, and then go one nothing up and concede in the last minute. Not seeing out the game can bite you back, and it did. Disappointed a bit in myself that I didn't put my penalty away, but during the game we have got to see the game out. Throughout the season, a lot of the success has been seeing out the games when we have been to places and only been up a goal. We have seen out the games and built the season off that. The past two games against St Johnson we have not done that and it is something we have to learn and get back to winning games. We put ourselves in a great position to get into the semi-final. It is not just from the corner. It is how it started up the pitch, losing it and then allowing them to get all that way, allowing them to get the corner and then the keeper gets a free header. He is six foot odd and it is criminal from ourselves to allow that. We have to really look at ourselves and analyse it. But we have got to pick ourselves up now for the old firm next weekend 
and finish the season strong. Report by Chris Jack. And that was this week's Glasgow Times Sport podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.